You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Along with JP, Joel, and Kyrie, we're here until midnight. Then it's Sports Center all night. On 98.7 ESPN. Rich Catino covers the Mets for us. Will join us at the bottom of the hour. Want to get his thoughts on what's happening with baseball A and B just to give us his thoughts from the people he's been speaking with about the draft choices that the Mets have. And maybe we'll touch on a couple of other things about the Mets if indeed they play baseball. And that's where we begin because it looks as though there's conversation. Now when we, it feels like a soap opera, right? Like, I just need the organ, like old-time radio, like the organ in the background. Dun, 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 dun. And then the voice, when last we left, you know, with the guy standing there, when last we left, Tony Clark and Rob Manford were not talking. Well, that's the way it was when we left the air last night, right? They weren't talking. But all of a sudden, they were talking, although we didn't know they were talking. They spoke yesterday. They had a nice long meeting Tuesday. And... <laughs> As usual, we're not quite sure what's happened because one side says that they came to an, quote, agreement, unquote, and the other side says we didn't come to an agreement. Here's what we know right now, okay? Here's what we know. There was a framework put together to play in 2020. All right, here's kind of what it looks like. The season will begin the week of July 19th, with teams playing 60 regular season games through September 27. The key things here that gives you some hope, players would get their full prorated salaries upholding a provision from the two sides March agreement that the players had refused to concede. Now, this is part of uh, Tyler Kempler's article in the New York Times. Until now, every proposal from the owners had included further pay cuts for players because the games would be staged without fans, at least initially. So now the owners had also been seeking to create another tier of playoffs, which were bringing more revenue for them. But they needed the players' approval. So Manfred left the Phoenix meeting with a framework of a 16-team postseason field. And, you know, we've talked about this. That's a lot of teams for Major League Baseball. That would be eight teams. Four in each league qualified for the playoffs from 95 through 2011. Ten teams made it annually since 2012 when the wild card games before the division series were introduced. So this would be by far the largest group of games ever. 16 teams, largest group of teams, 16 teams in the postseason. The other thing about the plan, which was interesting, is it calls for a designated hitter to be used in all games through 2021 when the collective bargaining agreement expires. Now, the DH, which was adopted by the American League in 1973, Ron Bloomberg did it with the Yankees, has never been used in games between National League teams. It's always National and American. Well, this would be both teams, both leagues using the DH. Manfred and Clark focused on financial and structural issues at their meeting with the understanding that the sides could soon complete the health and safety protocols for returning to play during the coronavirus pandemic. And then, of course, as you continue to go through this, you understand and you hear from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who says, you know, with this, he, he's hesitant to talk about a second wave because the first wave is not finished. But if there is a second wave, it would be around October. 
And oh, by the way, in case you hadn't noticed, uh, hospitalizations for the coronavirus in Arizona are up. Oh, boy. It's an interesting time in Major League Baseball, right? Trying to figure out a way to get this season off and going. Now, here are the positives, okay? The positives are that they had a conversation. That's the positives, that you have at least a 60-game season. Now, maybe they could squeeze a couple of more games out of it. Obviously, the players would like to have more games because that means that they would make more money. The owners are not quite sure if they want more games because they don't know when, indeed, if fans will be allowed back into the various ballparks around this country. If they could be assured that, let's say, fans were coming back in September for the month of the season, that that, that rush that would decide who would be going to the postseason, uh, there's no question that they would be more enthusiastic about getting this squared away. Now, that's part one. That's the encouraging part. Part two, which is a little concerning, is now both sides have to go to their respective corners and try to sell this to their constituency. That means Tony Clark still has to get the player's approval to make the plan official. And Rob Manfred has got to go back and talk to his bosses, the 30 team owners, to accept the plan. And I don't think that there's going to be a general consensus on both sides that they want to do this. I do think the players would want to play. I really do. I think the players are are eager to play, especially now that if indeed the owners will agree to the prorated salary, which was what the original agreement was back in March, then I think the players are like, we're good. We're there. We're ready to go. It's going to be Rob Manfred selling this to the owners. And as I said previously, that's where we're going to find out the art of negotiation for the commissioner. Because he's got to find a way to make sure that he sells this to most of the owners that they will buy it, A, and B, the ones that don't can be convinced that there's a way that makes this positive for both sides. Because both sides are going to lose money. The, the players are losing money. Half their salaries are going to be gone. It's going to be prorated over 60 games. And yes, I understand that's a lot of money for the top tier players, but let's look at the, the bottom tier players. They need to play. They need to have money. They need to, to, you know, feed their families as everybody else wants to do. So I think once again, the players will be able to get this done. It's going to be a tougher sell for Rob Manfred. And so while there is encouragement, while there is hope because of the fact that the two met in a room one-on-one, which was great, which shows some desperation on both sides, that shows some want to make sure that we try to get a deal done, that shows some initiative, that shows that, yeah, they both sides understand that the clock is ticking. That's a good thing. Now, the question is going to be, will both sides be able to give a little? And I don't know how to read that right now. Because up until now, neither side's been willing to give anything. 
the players are like, look, you told us we, this is the agreement we had. This is the agreement we're sticking with. Players are like, and the owners are like, well, no, we understand that, but we want something else. We, we're trying to do another deal. We're trying to do something else. Help us out. <laughs> and so I would, I would characterize it as it's encouraging. Okay. It's encouraging. Do I, if I were a baseball fan, would I feel better than I did yesterday? No. I would, I would define it as being cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic because there is still the discussion between millionaires and billionaires, right? It's still trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to get this done. But at least they're talking. And that is the most productive thing that we can say over the past couple of weeks. Remember when we joined you after the return of sports hosted by Mike Greenberg on Monday night, Rob Manfred indicated that he hadn't spoken to Tony Clark in a week. Matter of fact, over a week at that point. So the fact that once again, not only did, did they speak, but they spoke face to face for the first time since late March. I think that gives you just a little bit of encouragement. So I would deem it cautiously optimistic. How do you identify? You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. This is your boy, Uncle Vim Rock, from the legendary hip-hop group, Naughty by Nature. And right about now, you're listening to ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty. Hey, yo, Larry, tell them the top stories of the day. Rob Manford, Tony Clark, meet in person. And now, which was great, because Manford traveled to Arizona, where he met with Clark. That's where Clark lives. Face-to-face, 60 games... Expanded playoffs, DH in both leagues. That's the way they wanted. That's the framework of the deal. And then afterwards, when you thought that Major League Baseball said that they had a deal and you thought that the Players Association said they had a deal, both sides said, we don't have a deal. Tim Kirchner was on Get Up this morning. Tim, what are we doing with this season? Well, I think the commissioner did it best last night with you, Greeny, when he said this is a disaster. This is. It is a total mess at the moment. I woke up this morning to a one-word text from someone who would know what's going on, and he just said this is pitiful. And that's where we are right now. Greeny, I covered the 81 strike. I covered 94, 95. It was terrible. But this in its own way is worse, given everything that's going on in this country. As you said, with the pandemic, protesters, 40 million Americans out of work and we're bickering over money. I cannot believe we are not in a negotiating room right now. It's been over a week. This is a crisis management situation, not a collective bargaining agreement. And they have to get together now if they're going to save this. So now, Timmy, the question is, since they met, when will they get back together again? 
that's going to be the interesting thing. Jeff Passan was on Golik and Wingo, and he says, you think you may not have baseball this year? It might go a little further. If you lose the 2020 season, you haven't played baseball since October of 2019. 2021 season is going to be even more difficult because you have the anger that 20 was shut down because you have players who are going to be even more entrenched in their positions because you have owners who fearful that there are not going to be revenues from tickets or not nearly as many revenues from tickets as they're used to are going to want to shut the whole damn thing down again. And you're going to have labor rancor like we haven't seen since I'm not even going to say since 1994, like we've never seen. Unbelievable. Let's move to the NBA, where an extensive outline of coronavirus testing procedures, 113 paid safety manual was sent to players, according to us and the athletic, which outlined the protocols for inside the Orlando bubble, including a requirement for positive coronavirus individuals to be transferred to quote, isolation housing, end of quote. In other words, the location will not house any players who did not test positive. The players have until June 25th to decide whether they want to go or not go. And of course, that's part of the concern of the Players' Coalition. Our Malika Andrews was on SportsCenter to find out what else they want. So Avery Bradley, who is one of the leaders of that Players' Coalition, told Adrian Wojnarowski and I exactly what it is that they are hoping to uh, have come to, to light today. So it's three things. One, he said, we would like to see an improvement in hiring practices for black coaches, black general managers, black presidents, because they want to see the decision makers of the league better reflect the, the racial makeup of the players. Secondly, they would like to work see the league work more with black business owners and uh, black vendors. And then thirdly, they would like to see more financial donations like from what we've seen from Mark Cuban and Michael Jordan to organizations that serve black people. And so he said today, Avery said, look, I support the people who want to go to Orlando and want to use that platform. What I would like is for help from our owners because that will make our message more impactful. So that is the question right now, right? Where's the leverage? What do the players want? Does it help them if they play or don't play? Well, our front office guru, Amin El-Hassan, was on the jump, and he said players need to understand the loss of money if they don't play. When it comes to players deciding whether or not to play, I think for my money, that's on them to reconcile with themselves. I think we have to accept that they've come to that decision after deep thought. But the idea is I hope that everyone in that coalition realizes what comes along with that. And the idea is that guys like Kyrie and even Avery Bradley, they've got enough money in the bank to never play basketball again and their families are taken care of for generations. But there are a lot of players in this league. Some of them are two-way guys. Some of them are 10-day guys. Some of them are minimum guys. Some of them are rookie-scale guys. So they have a couple million, but not enough to say, I never have to play basketball or work a job the rest of my life. And they've got to understand the stakes at hand when they make this kind of decision. That's the only part that I hope they know when they join a coalition like this. Fascinating. Brian Windhorse. And why, when I say that, do I hear Peter Rosenberg singing Windhorse at sea? I'm sorry, was on Get Up this morning, and he talked about what happens to players who don't come, and will there be discussion on social justice? The players who choose not to come will not be penalized, according to the league. However, they will not get game checks, uh, which for, you know, a lot of players is 
several hundred thousand dollars uh, per game, up to 14 checks. So you don't have to go, but then you won't get paid. The other component that is not in this document, and it, look, this is a very intense, a lot of work document, but there's no discussion about what the NBA might do to uh, address and embrace the social justice um, initiatives that so many players are focused on. That is something that they are working on with the union right now, and that, we are learning, may be just as big of a factor at getting players to commit to the bubble as the health protocols. No question about it, Brian. And that's something that Adam Silver spoke to Mike Greenberg about on the return of Sports Monday Night. And he said that he encouraged players who were coming while they were there between games. They could invite various speakers in to talk about economic empowerment, to talk about uh, the police reform, to talk about various issues that they would like to see handled. So let's see if the players and the league can get together to come together to use this opportunity so for those who do go and who do play what their responsibilities are and for those who aren't going to play listen understand it got it you do what you feel you have to do it's individually based but for those who are going the emphasis and the pressure is going to be on you to make sure that you continue the conversation because as some of the players fear if the idea changes, if the focus changes, and we're just focusing on what happened with the Lakers and Clippers last night, what's going on with, with Milwaukee? Can they win? How, wow, look, look at what's going on with Toronto. And we don't talk about social justice and we don't refer to the things that are going on on the streets of our country every day. That's not going to fly. It just isn't. Cal Corver was on SportsCenter Instagram Live, and he talked about what he cares more about than the championship. If my black teammates and friends and brothers feel like the best way to go about real change is to not play, I stand with them. I'm okay with that, right? If, if we think that is the best way for change, I care more about change happening than a championship. On the other side, I am on a team that feels like we could win. Mm-hmm. And I have never won. I would, I, I would, I would like to win. Is, is there a way to do both? I, I, I think there's a conversation there. But I, again, kind of like, kind of go back to your saying, like, I, I'm, I'm going to follow the lead of my black brothers and teammates on this. And I stand with them and whatever they want to do, that's what I want to do. All right. That's Kyle Corver. One other note before we leave the NBA, Orlando Magic assistant Pat Delaney will interview for the Knicks head coaching job. This according to uh, Woj at ESPN. Delaney has been an assistant under Steve Clifford for five years after advancing within the Miami Heat organization. He spent a year as G League head coach with the Heat. So there's another name you weren't expecting, right? Let's move to the National Football League. Well, all of a sudden, Colin Kaepernick has been like the hot item. Listen to Anthony Lynn on Zoom. That's something that's that's probably on the on the workout list, you know. Uh, uh, I haven't spoken with Colin. I'm not sure, if, uh, you know, where he's at as far as in his career, or uh, what he want to do. But Colin definitely fits the style of quarterback for the system that we're going to be running. I'm very confident and happy with the three quarterbacks that I have. But uh, you know, you can never have too many people waiting on the runway. And as our Danny Rossini says, uh, Anthony Lynn's team, not the only one who wants to work out Colin. When you talk to different coaches and GMs around the league about possibly bringing him in. Look, I can't tell you a team specifically right now that has the plan of bringing Colin in for a workout. But almost I talk to will say, okay, we're not going to do it. But I will tell you, there will be plenty of teams, teams, plural. So it's really not a matter of if. It's going to probably be when Colin Kaepernick gets that call to come in for a workout with the team come this summer. 
Staying in the National Football League, Joe Judge, head coach of the Giants, says if players want to kneel for the National Anthem in peaceful protest this fall, Joe Judge said he is going to support the players. The first-year head coach said the Giants have not yet discussed in detail how they will proceed on game days, but when asked if he would be okay with players kneeling and if he would join them, Judge said his and his organization's goal will be to support the court of action course of action that is important to their players. None of the three Giants who knelt for the anthem in 2017, Olivier Vernon, Landon Collins, or Damon Snacks Harrison remain on the team. Speaking of kneeling, Kyler Murray told uh, on SportsCenter when asked if he will be kneeling during the National Anthem this season, he said, yeah, I'll be kneeling. I stand for what's right, and that's the bottom line. I call it like I see it, and what's been going on is completely wrong, so I'll definitely be taking a knee. That was Arizona quarterback Kyler Murray. Well, other folks are talking about taking a knee as well. Our Taylor Twelman, ESPN soccer analyst, was on Spain and Company, and he spoke about why kneeling in Germany was significant. I played for the red, white, and blue. I would have never knelt for the national anthem. However, Colin Kaepernick made me realize I was uneducated, I was unaware as a white man of what he was trying to talk about. It was never about the flag for me, but he opened the eyes through the peaceful protest of what I needed to become more educated on. Now the fact that we're here, we're coming off a weekend where NASCAR got rid of the Confederate flag in Germany. Think of Germany's history as a country with racism. Germany had 15,000 people in downtown Berlin and a team in Frankfurt where for the German Cup semifinal, hashtag Black Lives Matter. So England, we see that today, and it's a monumental moment. But the fact that Germany led that conversation and NASCAR in the world of sport over the last 10 to 12 days, you can't convince me that we're not on the precipice of real change. No question. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That's what it is. Finally, a lot of talk about the U.S. Open. It is going to go on as scheduled right now over in Queens. And Serena Williams said, hey, guess what? She's playing. So this announcement has been on my mind all day. But ultimately, I really cannot wait to return to New York and play the U.S. Open 2020. I feel like the USTA is going to do um, a really good job of ensuring like everything is amazing and everything is perfect and everyone is safe and um, it's going to be exciting. Um, it's been over it's six months since a lot of us have played professional tennis so it is uh, I'll certainly miss the fans don't get me wrong just being out there in that New York crowd and hear everyone cheer like I really miss that and getting me through some of those tough matches but um this is crazy. I'm excited. One of the best athletes in history, male or female, Serena Williams. Trey, how are you? What's going on, Larry? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. You can hear me okay, right? Yes, I hear you fine. All right, all right. As long as we good. Been yes. lots of connection problems lately, so want to get those ironed out. Want to get those ironed out. A lot of people um, on their phones and Wi-Fi is, is, is yeah, working overtime. Yeah. <laughs> A jumbled mess, Larry. A jumbled mess. Yes, it mess. is. Yes, it is. But we're going to get right. But we're going to get right. Um, Absolutely. Ready to go to work? Yes, sir. Let's do it. We're going to Connecticut tonight. Beautiful. Yep. We're going to Connecticut, and we're going to salute a chain of hospitals. 
and doctors. It's Stamford Health. And they are throughout the state of Connecticut in various cities, be it Stanford, be it Waterbury, be it numerous places in the state of Connecticut. They have, and they lock you into all different phases. So it's not just the general hospital. It could be if you have issues with, you know, mental problems, if you have troubles with physical problems, if there is, if you're being re, if you need rehab from an injury, they take care of you. There are a group of hospitals brought together to do tremendous work. So we want to reach out to all the doctors and nurses at all the facilities that make up Stanford Health, even the lab technicians who are there trying to, you know, dissect and, and check out your blood work and check out your right. results of your MRI and your x-rays and all those things. All those folks are doing a tremendous job, and they've done a tremendous job during this COVID-19 pandemic. And now that it's leveled off a little bit, I saw up in Connecticut, uh, Trey, where they're starting to open. Even the bowling alleys are opened up now. So that means wow. that it's it's sliding down, and that's a good thing. And so some of you who had to put off some other procedures, you can now speak to your doctor and get some of those things taken care of as well. Perfect. That that's And that's the kind of help that we need out here because – People are getting lax. The weather oh, please. is getting warm. Oh. And, and people are just like Uncle Spike said, man. And shout out to Uncle Spike, man. I love you so much, man. Um, it's, 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 it's sad, Larry. It really is. It is it's, and and if through mitigation, we can, I'm telling you people, we can, we can beat this virus. I'm telling yeah. you. Cause that's no all question. it is. But, but you know, I'm so torn, Larry, because I understand I have friends that are in the food service industry that have not had checks and they are hungry and they are, they, they're, they're, they're losing it. They're like, what do we do? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I understand right. both sides. I really do, man. It's, I don't know, Larry. I don't know. It's tough, man. It's, it's tough. You can't, it's hard to tell somebody, Hey, don't make no money. You know what I'm saying? How are we going to listen to Larry? You're right. How are you going to listen to Larry Hardesty? We ain't got no damn electricity. You feel no question. You can't, That's right. You know, you can't, you can't charge your smartphone. How are you going to pay your smartphone? But you ain't got no money. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's tough, man. So, you know, we definitely want to lift them up tonight and let them know we're thinking about them for real. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So we're going to go to suffering tonight. Oh, all right. We're going to suffering. Good Samaritan Hospital. They're doing great work. Um, they are testing on site and they're taking temperatures at the door. They're keeping that place drip dry clean. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, it smells like a hospital in there, Larry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's and which a good is what thing. You want, you know? That's, that's a good that's thing. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. So we want to let them know we're thinking about them tonight, man, and just you know lifting them up in prayer, man, and just hoping that they get to and from safely. You know, shout out, again, shout out to all my MTA workers that's doing that, getting us to getting them to and uh, from work. And um, working their behinds off too, without without hesitation, which has got to change. And we spoke mm. about that last week. Yeah, that that's right. Absolutely, that has to change. Uh, I'm gonna do a little audible tonight, Larry. Cause okay. Tonight, this, this date, this day, and I got one for you tomorrow. So don't think I'm no problem. My homework. Uh, to this, this date though is is very you know meaningful to me. Um, you know, June 17th, 1994 was one of the greatest days of my life, man. To watch the Rangers go down the canyon of heroes with that cup, man, and just, mm-hmm. oh, man, watching the city on fire, man. And, you know, poor little AP, he wasn't even here, man. I think Bart Scott <laughs> said he was just still swimming. As only Bart could say. Yeah, shout out to AP. Shout out to AP. You know, ain't no bigger ain't no bigger Ranger fan. But right. also um, just to watch or try to watch a great game between the Rockets and the Knicks, man. And, I, and boy, the, cap, the captain had a night. 
<laughs> oh, the captain had a night. And for yes, anybody did. that didn't get a chance to see that game, that man, that, that was a Georgetown throwback game right there, the way he was throwing shots off that rim that night, man. Eight blocks. Eight blocks from the captain that night, man. He led us that night to a 3-2 series lead. Unfortunately, you know, we know the ending of what happened. You know, yeah, um, we do. But that, that night was special and only to be preempted by Orenthal James. So I, I, I'm, I got a story to tell you about that night. Okay. You ready? I got a story to tell you about that I'm night. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready. So <laughs> doing morning sports on another radio station in this town mm-hmm. that love to play a lot of music. Uh-huh. I said, when people asked me about how the Knicks were going to be able to do, I said that I, I thought the Knicks had a shot to beat Houston. Mm-hmm. And I said, strictly analytical now, Trey, strictly analytical, okay. that Patrick Ewing is a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. But I thought Olajuwon was just a tick better. And I yeah. thought that Olajuwon would be the difference in the series. Mm-hmm. That morning I said that. That morning. Okay. (laughs) So I, and so a couple of years later, Uh um, Patrick Ewing said we were at an event and he said to me, you know, I heard you say when we was playing Houston oh, that Elijah Wan was better than oh, me that morning. <laughs> oh, oh. So, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that you was a battery that was put into the captain? Patrick no. Aloysius Ewing's back? No. That, that, okay, no. all right, all right. I will not all say right. that. You know why I won't say that? Because that battery was always running in Patrick Ewing. Right. That right. battery ran from the time he left Georgetown and went to the garden. That's right. That's when he right. was playing alongside Bill Cartwright. That's right. So, no, no, right. no. I am not taking credit. I'm just sharing the story. <laughs> I am mad at you. Plausible deniability. Get out of here. I'm just sharing. I'm just giving you a little story time. I'm just giving you a little story time. That's right. I like it. Just a little story time. But I tell you what, man. Be, you know, I, I felt so good getting out of the garden and coming back to Texas. And, and and I thought that we would close it out. You know, I yeah. really did. And, yeah. and you know, and, and then, like I said, it's just in the line of long, heartbreaking, you know, Nick things that happen. Again, we're not going anywhere, Larry. I ain't going to let A.C. Cowling, I ain't going to let O.J. Simpson stop me from being no fan. But what I remember, the thing that I take away, and I know you got to go, the thing I take away from that night, Larry, is watching it on NBC. And the game started, and, 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 and the still there was a buzz in the garden about what, you know, because early that afternoon, they had issued the, the warrant for his arrest. That's right. So it had been buzzing the whole day. Yeah. And, and this was the culmination of it. And to see, you know, people in the garden going up to the uh, or going up to the inner bowl to go to look at the TVs at the yeah. concession stands and everything. Yeah. And, yeah, it was crazy. Like, I promise you, man. That was one we of the were, if, if folks remember the garden, mm-hmm. there was the rotunda side. So right. there was the, the side that was. Now, before, the, before the renovation. Before the renovation, there was a rotunda. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite side, because it was the NBA Finals, you know, most of us got kicked out of our seat for national media. So right, we were all right. put in the rotunda. And so. Oh, so you were in the rotunda. I was in the rotunda. Wow. So okay. we've got, we've got two, two videos. We got two screens. We got the in-house feed of the Knicks and right next to it 
We're watching the white Bronco on the highway. Oh, Larry, the only thing I was saying was, man, can AC hit the gas, please? He's going 55. <laughs> Let's was, go. He was, no, he was trying to get caught. Oh, it was maddening, Larry. I was like, dude, can you just, I know he's going to his house. He ain't going to kill himself. He's trying no. to get over to Brentwood. Get to Brentwood so we can get back to the game. And yeah. another quick thing. Mason yes. had a game that night. He did too. And yes, he did. Anthony Mason. Yes, he did. He yes, he out. did. The last glimpse before they went to the NBC feed was yes. Mason on a breakaway dunk and sticking his tongue out like ah, mm-hmm. and it was beautiful. And then they That's said, right. "Oh, we're going live to NBC." And I was like, "No, no, <laughs> not now, right?" <laughs> Larry, it went from half screen to pitcher in a pitcher to uh, uh, Bob Cox is throwing it to L.A. I was sick yep. to my stomach, Larry. But I'm glad we won that night. We tore yeah. up that night, boy. We sure tore did. up that night. Sure did. We couldn't finish sure the deal. We will finish the deal one day. I promise you that. And tomorrow yeah. I got a preview for you, too. Tomorrow I got a preview for you. All right. That's that's no problem. And, Trey, you made me, you, you made me think about that. And then there's one guy. There's one guy who, who I'm going to just say this name. And okay. he is... To me, and you know, we could talk about, you know, the local product, Mario Ellie, and we yeah. could talk about Clyde Drexler, we could talk about yeah. Robert Dory, we could talk about Vernon Mack, we could talk about all them folks. We could talk about Elijah, we can talk about Kenny Smith, we talk about Otis Thorpe, we talk about all of them. There's only one person I'm going to leave you this name with. He's the reason why we lost that. He's the reason why we lost. Sam Cassell. Oh, God. Florida State. Nobody even I, knew who he was until that he was <laughs> until a that final. He was a rookie, Larry. No one cared. No one had to care. He was a rookie, and I mean, he had a hell of a series. I mean, he did. Hats off to him, man. When you he beat did. me, I'm not going to sit there and cry and say what happened. And if you won, you were the yeah. better man that night, and he was the better man that whole series. He I was. said it before, yelling and screaming. Role players beat us in that series, Larry. That's right. Sure did. Carl sure did. Herrera, Sam Cassell, yeah. those guys. That we weren't even thinking about it. We were keying on Olajuwon, Kenny mm-hmm. Smith, O'Thorpe, yep. Mario. We were keying on those guys, man. That's but, right. you know, it is what it is, man. Sad, but, you know, it's, it's part of history, Larry. That was part of history that night. It is. It really is. All right, Trey, yep. thanks. Have a good night, man. Talk soon, You brother. too. All right, now. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.